Guys, let me start this morning with an admission. While the band, as usual, just crushed that summer song, and while, yes, it is symbolic and iconic, here's the admission. I didn't pick that one. Yes, a little behind the scene, look at our summer song series. It turns out summer song choices are not the product of a benevolent dictator, but more or less chosen democratic choice. Literally, if you've been involved, you got to vote. And I did not vote for respect. And it's not because I don't like the song. I mean, who doesn't? I mean, sock it to me, sock it to me, sock it to me, right? It's awesome. It's not the song I have a dysfunctional relationship with. It's, well, it's the topic. Aretha sang, what you want, baby, I got it. What you need, you know I got it. And well, she and Otis, Otis Redding, they were onto something, at least when it comes to me and my issues. Respect is not only something that I want, it is in my human brokenness something that I all too much need. This song, and Aretha Franklin, might be the first cultural touchstone you think of when you hear the word respect. The second well, for many of us that are a bit longer in the tooth, it's got to be Rodney Dangerfield, right? Whose whole career was built on this one punchline. You remember it? I don't get no respect. This week as I was working the message, I found myself cracking up over some of his bits. He, he said, I tell you, when I was a kid, I never got any respect. All I knew was rejection. My yo-yo, it never came back. The time I was kidnapped, he said, and the kidnapper sent my parents a note. They said, we want $5,000 or you'll see your kid again. And then he said, I'll tell you with my doctor, I don't get no respect. I told him I swallowed a bottle of sleeping pills. He told me to have a few drinks and get some rest. Now, as you can tell, I have no comedic timing, but that's why I'm preaching. But what I do share with Rodney Dangerfield is this deep-seated desire for respect. Honestly, this is, you know, maybe we all have our own issues. This is my issue. It's my hot button. I've literally learned this about myself over the years. I still have some hard work to do to determine exactly why. But somehow my filter, if you will, the way I perceive things in life, runs through this filter of respect. Somebody cuts me off on Route 80, they don't respect me. Somebody on staff shows up for a late for a meeting, they don't respect me. Kids come home two minutes late from curfew, they don't respect me. Now, here's what I know. None of those things are true, and it took me a long time to understand that but I still feel them like they are. And, and so, again, this is why you never follow your feelings. Your feelings lie. You follow Jesus and you train your feelings. Still, I have to overcome. I have to train those feelings with the truth that the guy on Route 80, look, he needed to get over for the next exit or somebody at work here got caught behind a school bus on the way or, or my kids were home. They were just home within a minute or two of, uh, of the deadline. So, I didn't want to talk about respect, well, because it's a, it's a tough topic for me. My feelings get involved. But now, now I can have a laugh. Ha! Because if I thought the topic was tough because of my own emotional baggage, if I thought it was emotionally charged before, I had no idea how tough it was going to be when I turned to the scriptures for a study on respect. Guys? Buckle up, because I can guarantee you right now what the Bible teaches over and over again in regards to respect is going to take you and I some time to process and then to train our feelings with the truth of God's Word on this. Let me show you what I mean. In the Bible, this concept of respect, when the Bible uses the term respect, 
it usually means, well, it means to revere, uh, to honor, or to hold with value. To revere, honor, or hold with value. When it discusses respect, right, it's saying that these, we should revere, honor, and value people. And it says to do it, and I'm telling you right now, in a very countercultural way. We've been taught over and over and over and over again that respect is not to be given, respect is to be earned, right? You've heard that. Maybe you've taught it to your kids. You only respect people who have earned your respect. Now, again, I, I need you to stick with me through this day because emotions are going to get involved here. The scriptures seem to indicate a completely different countercultural truth. See, when the scriptures speak of respect, they speak of it in terms of somebody being entitled to respect. It's not earned, it's entitled, which right off the bat might get your blood pressure up. But think about it. Isn't this the way we view ourselves? I mean, why did I get ticked off on Route 80? What did I do to earn the respect of my co-drivers co on the road? Nothing. I just felt I was entitled to it as a fellow driver. What have I done to earn the respect of my employees? Well, hopefully I've done something. But the truth is, as I sit at my desk waiting for them, tapping my fingers, I'm thinking that I'm entitled to their respect because I'm their boss. They don't respect me as their boss. Same thing with my kids, right? I'm their father. That's my position. Therefore, I'm entitled to respect as their dad because of my role. They should, well, they should revere and honor and value me. You see, we want everyone else to earn our respect, but we insist that we are nevertheless entitled to respect. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I, I want to give you a couple of biblical examples so you get what I mean. Apart from God, the, author, the authors of the Bible actually, and quite particularly, call out five categories of people amongst us that are worthy of respect. The first one I want to show you is the elderly. Leviticus in, is this Old Testament book of the law given by God to Moses for his people. Quote, stand up in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. Now, you see this in a couple places in the Scripture. In Deuteronomy, you see it. In Paul's letter to Timothy, you see it. The context is always the same. The elderly are to be respected. Now, what did they do to earn it? Well, I guess maybe if making it to be gray-haired counts, then they did that. But the truth is, this is an entitlement issue. The scriptures are clear. The elderly are to be revered, honored, and valued. How are we doing with this in our present modern-day culture? Well, my take is not so well. We respect, honor, and value youth and beauty and athleticism. We discount and discard the elderly. You know, my favorite commercial on television right now, I actually look forward to it, is the progressive insurance commercial with supposed Dr. Rick whose job it is, is to keep young people from turning into their parents. Have you seen this? I mean, I'm telling you, if you have it, you should look it up. It's hilarious, and it's hilarious because it's so true. It's me. I can laugh at myself in it. But I have to tell you, in regards to the elderly, it's anything but respectful. Now, of course, in Exodus, one, one book earlier, um, God gave as one of the Ten Commandments, handed down to Moses, another decree in regards to respect. Almost all of you know this one, right? Each of you must respect your mother and father. And why? Well, God doesn't say why. Now, later in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, when this verse is quoted, it says, so that you may live long and that, and that it may go well with you. So it's a command 
with a promise, but it is not a command with, in a sense, a because attached to it. Why do we honor our parents? Well, because they are entitled as our parents to our honor and our respect. We should value them. So the elderly, our parents, who else? Interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Ephesus in chapter 5, his great treatise on Christian households and marriages, he sums up the whole teaching with one sentence. He says, each of you must love his wife as he loves his husband, and the wife must respect her husband, revere, value. Paul gives husbands one commandment, or one commandment overview, actually. He says, husbands, love your wives. Earlier, he said, as Christ loved the church. Now he makes it a little simpler for the guys, just in case they don't get the theology behind as Christ loved the church. He says, look, let me make it simple. You're to love your wife as you love yourself. Now, you need to understand that was in the first century world where wives were often treated as property. They were used and often disposed of. That was a radical, radical teaching. And then he says, wives, respect, revere, honor, and value your husbands. Why? Well, in my experience, for two reasons. The first is that a lot of guys are like me. They have respect issues. There's a great ministry called Love and Respect. It's based on this teaching. The underpinning of the ministry is that research indicates a woman's greatest need is to feel loved and a man's is to be respected. And that's what Paul, 2,000 years ago, is communicating. Well, first, God says, wives, respect your husbands because of the primacy of the need. Second, though, Paul is saying, wives, ladies, your husband lives in a world that is constantly making him earn respect. But ladies, when he comes home, could you make this the one place where he doesn't have to earn it, where it is just given? Now hear me on this. This is no more a license for men to act like jerks and demand respect than it is for women to act like jerks and demand love. That's not what this is about. It's Paul saying in a marriage, the marriage is different. Here we love and respect because it is entitled. Now, if that wasn't enough for you, here is R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Here's where it gets even more countercultural, convicting, confusing, challenging, provocative. I'm going to show you in several places from several different authors. But this is the, the fourth particular person. The, the fifth is actually God. And I think all of us would be willing to acknowledge that that we should respect God. But this is the fourth particular person to whom respect, the scriptures say, is entitled. You ready? Because if you spend a lot of time on social media, you're probably not. But here it is, and it's quite particular. The fourth person, people that are entitled to respect, well, we're going to start with Paul's letter to the church in Rome, chapters 13. He says, let everybody be subject to the governing authorities. There it is. The governing authorities. You see, it's spelled out clearly. You'll see it's spelled out clearly in a second. But we are to respect, to revere, to value governing authorities. And this is going to be a challenging teaching, especially in the political climate we find ourselves in right now. So we're going to break it down, but let's start with this. Who's to be subject to? Who is to be subject to? Which means, in a sense, that's a military word there. It means to conform to, to voluntarily line up under. Who is to do that? Everyone is to do it. But John, you don't know. No, no, no. Everybody is to be subject to the governing authorities. Notice 
The teaching here is not what is the prevalent cultural, I don't know, teaching of the day, which is question authority, right? That's natural for us. I had a friend once who had a t-shirt, question authority. It wasn't just a t-shirt though. For him, it became a battle cry. He's still living that way. And it's become a battle cry for an entire generation. And it's resulted in a culture now where this is what we do, right? We question authority. We don't submit to authority. We don't revere it. We don't respect it. We don't value it. We don't allow ourselves to be subject to authority. We question authority. We spurn it. We push back. We talk back. We challenge. We disrespect authority. We as a people no longer subject ourselves to authority. Here's the truth, and you know this. If you get together with your friends, we spend the better parts of our communal time denigrating, tearing down, and destroying the authorities in place over us, especially in today's environment, the governmental authorities. Well, not all authority, you might say, because maybe you're like me. Truth is, if you're like me, I like some authority. I like authority when it lines up with my opinion, or with my goals, or with my views. And then I'm happy to subject to myself to it. Cut my taxes, happy to be subject to that authority. Increase my pay, happy to be subject to that authority. Increase financial aid for my kids, happy to subject myself to that authority. Reduce regulations, happy to come under that authority. But that is not what Paul is saying here. Paul says, everyone to the governing authorities. No caveats. The good ones and the bad ones. The ones that you like and the ones that you don't. The ones who like you and the ones who don't. The governing authorities who promote you, the bosses that promote you, and the ones who demote you. The ones who agree with you and the ones who don't. The ones you voted for and the ones you didn't. The ones you think are smart and the ones you think are dumb. The ones you think are right and the ones you think are wrong. See, I think if we read this and, and we didn't know what it was going to say, we might read it and think that Paul would add a caveat, right? Be subject to the governing authorities as, as long as their governance honors Christ or as long as they promote morality or, or, or a Christian worldview or as long as they encourage good. But you need to notice here, this is troubling. There's no qualifier. There is no caveat. It does not say be subject if they're good, but not if they're bad. There's no distinction. I, I heard it put this way. Be subject to Democrats and dictators. Communists are kings. Republicans are revolutionaries. Which I know. I know it sounds kind of crazy. Until you remember who Paul is writing this letter to. He's writing to the church, to the believers in Rome. And who is the governing authority in Rome? Nero. And Nero is a bad dude. You should Wikipedia when the sermon's over. Nero is considered to be one of history's greatest criminals. His name is synonymous with evil. Historic accounts have him accused of killing his stepbrother, killing his wife, killing his mother, instigating the devastating great fire of Rome merely to clear land for a new palace. Nero, who made it a practice of dipping Christians in oil and then lighting them at a stake to light his garden at night. And it was to these people in Rome, under Nero, that Paul wrote, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. 
But it wasn't just to Rome. Paul would write to Titus. He says, Titus, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. And it wasn't just Paul. Peter, writing during the reign of Nero, Peter, now think about this, Peter who would be crucified upside down by Nero during the persecution of Christians. He writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority. Every human authority. Whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors. Peter, obviously knowing Nero would qualify as a human authority, as a governor, he doesn't leave it at that. He says we should submit to Every human authority, spiritual authorities, civil authorities, workplace authorities, you name the authority. And followers of Jesus should be submitting, honoring, respecting, revering, valuing their rule. Now, I know where your minds are going. Mine went there too. John, every authority... No matter what they do, no, no matter what atrocities going on? Well, the answer to that, the truth is it's not an easy answer because that's how prevalent the teaching of respect and submission to authorities in the scriptures is. Theologians actually debate over the centuries on where and if the submission line ends. Here's what I'll tell you based on my studies and my beliefs. The biblical example seems clear. We are to respect and subject ourselves to the authorities over us up and until those authorities demand we violate submission to the authority over them. In other words, we willingly submit to their rule up and until submission causes us to sin with God, the authority over them. Now, you see this scripture, uh, this principle played out in the scriptures over and over. Uh, Exodus. Right? First chapter of Exodus. The Pharaoh in Egypt declares that all Hebrew male babies should be killed upon their birth. Moses' parents do not submit to that order. Instead, trying to protect their baby, they put him in a basket and he is found and raised by Pharaoh's daughter. You see it over and over again in, in the Old Testament book of Daniel. One time in a story some of you are familiar with, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, King Nebuchadnezzar, who is a famously evil king of Babylon, He's erected an idol and he wants everybody, when the music is played, to bow down and worship the idol daily or else be killed. Well, we see that they don't comply with that ruling. Yet read the story. It's interesting. They choose to stay subject to the king in that they willingly go to what the king perceives will be their death in the fire. Chapter 6, Daniel is forbidden to pray by Nebuchadnezzar, but he does not comply with that order. And like his friends, he is willingly sent to the lion's den rather than disobey God. You'll also see this gets picked up in the New Testament in the book of Acts with Peter and John. They're out in the streets talking about Jesus and they're dragged in. The scriptures say they called them in and again commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, they said, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. And so it is, there it is. There is the line. There is the exception to the prevalent rule. We are called to listen to God and not to the ruling authorities when their decrees are at odds with God. But in the scriptures, as I believe it is in our lives, 
These are exceptions and not rules. God's people, as the general rule, should be the most respectful, the most law-abiding, the most valued citizens in any culture or kingdom. We are, and again, there are exceptions, but we are not to be people that are subversive, divisive, dismissive, or rebellious in any of our words or any of our deeds. Now, Paul, again, he's writing to Christians under Nero, right? And so he understands what they must be thinking about this hard teaching. And so here's what he says. He says, let everybody be subject to the governing authorities. And then he goes on. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, this is one of those teachings in the Bible that you just, well, I mean, you want to argue against it, right? In fact, you want to rebel against it. If you count the Bible and its teachings as an authority in your life, right, you probably can feel right now the desire we have to rebel against the, this authority, right? Right? Who, who, who don't say or, or don't do what we don't want to believe, right? We want to rebel against those things. This is hard to take. Every authority God has raised up, I mean, here's what Paul is saying. There is no authority that exists. None. Zero. Zip. It has never happened that a person in position of authority, that a government in position of authority, got there without being established by God. And this principle is all over the biblical record. God establishes all human authority because God works through human authority. He works through good human authority, and he works through bad human authority. Righteous human authority, unrighteous human authority. Believing human authority, unbelieving human authority. God primarily exercises his will on the earth through the authorities that he has established. The authorities are a tool of his will, sometimes willingly, often not. Which now, if you follow the logic, and it's pretty convicting when you do, <laughs> stick with me here. If God establishes all authorities and governing authorities, then that means, I'll just speak about me, as I treat respect, talk about, write about, post about those authorities. I am actually treating, respecting, talking about, writing about, and posting about God. You know what that means? That means how you speak of, treat, respect your boss, the elders in your church, your mayor, your school board, your governor, your president, as I rebel against them, in a very real sense, I am rebelling against God, which I know right now you're thinking, gosh, that seems a little bit of an overstatement, until you read the very next line Paul writes to the Romans. He goes, consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I didn't write that. Paul did. Now, I, I don't know what example, I mean, this conjures up examples for us, right? I don't know what example you have running through your mind in terms of, of authority issues in your life. It could be in the church, or it could be at work, or at school, or in the town, the state, or the country. I don't know what your example might be, uh, but what you're thinking, 
I mean, you're probably going in regards to whatever. Well, it's just stupid. This policy is wrong. This makes no sense. I'm willing to submit, but only to things that make sense. Friends, can I show you something? This is a big deal. This is the oldest argument in the book. And literally, I mean, it is the oldest argument in the Bible. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in an incredible home, and he tells them there's only one command in this place. Live here eternally in peace and harmony and prosperity. There's just one command. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, you know the story. Temptation enters the garden, and what does it say? Well, that's stupid. See, God knows that if you eat of the tree, then you'll be like him, and you could determine good and evil for yourself. Do you hear the serpent, what he's saying? That rule makes no sense. Don't follow. Why would you follow that? Can't you hear Adam and Eve going, yeah, that does make no sense. That's, that's a stupid rule. It's just so limiting. What about my rights? What about my personal freedoms? This makes no sense. You know what this is in regards to respect? This is the same old argument. Earned versus entitled. That rule, right, about that tree, that's stupid, it's wrong, it doesn't make any sense to me, so it doesn't earn my respect. Why would I respect that rule? It's a dumb rule. See, God wasn't asking them to respect the rule. God was asking them to respect the rule giver. It was not about the what, it was about the who. Our problem with authority is nothing new. It originates in the garden and echoes through eternity. We never have a problem with authority if the authority does we, what we want it to. We're happy to respect them. But that is not what the Bible talks about when it comes to respect. Respect is not earned. It is entitled to authorities. And those authorities are established by God. And God is due our respect. So we respect authorities if we agree with them or not. This is a core principle for Christians. And I fear, my friends, that we've been caught up in the spirit of the age. We often live like citizens of the earth and not citizens of a different kingdom. Here is why, if you cannot respect earthly authorities when you disagree with them, how in the world are you going to respect God's authority when you don't agree with him? Your attitude and response to, to human authorities is ultimately a reflection of your attitude and response to God. See, here's the heart check for all of us. Your response to the authorities, you can see it's a reflection of your response to the authority that you cannot see. I heard it put this way this week. To think that somehow we can be out from underneath the authorities that God has put over us and at the same time be under God's authority is a confused notion. You can't be out from underneath the human authorities he's established and under God's authority at the same time. You see... If you've only ever submitted to authority when, when you agree with the authority, you've never really submitted to authority. And more importantly, I think what the scripture would show you is you're going to have a hard time walking with God. Because here's what we know about God. Isaiah said that his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. Practicing submission to earthly authorities it is spiritual training for our souls so that we learn to walk in submission to the authority of God. And I have to tell you, you and I, your pastor included, we need a lot of practice. Now, 
Paul goes on. There's another important element here. Paul goes on. He says, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. The one in authority, think about this, whoever that is, your boss at work, school board, condo association, I don't know what it is. The one in authority is God's servant for your good. Might not feel that way. And that's why it's repeated over and over again. Verse 4 continues. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. Here it is again. They are God's servants. Agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. And then again in verse 6. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. God's servants. God's servants. God's servants. Actually, that third one, sometimes it's translated God's ministers. And in the Greek, that same word sometimes is used for angels. I heard one preacher this week and, and trying to explain this to his congregation. He, he went president by president. He was up there for a while. Joe Biden, God's servant for your good. Donald Trump, God's servant for your good. Barack Obama, God's servant for your good. George W. Bush, God's servant for your good. I think he went all the way back to Nixon just to try to get it through our heads. Does it mean they're perfect? No. Does it mean they're even good? No. But what it means is that God is in charge of every authority, good and bad, and God uses them for our good. Some of you are familiar with the story of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon one of the most tyrannical figures in biblical history. Babylon, the great and eternal enemy of Israel, who God used, right, who God used to discipline Israel at God's discretion. In fact, if you want to see it in print, this should jump out as Jeremiah 27.6. Speaking of Israel, God says, I will give all of your countries into the hands of my servant, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. King Nebuchadnezzar, servant of God, servant of God's people, for the good of God's people. God ordains authorities. Please understand, he does not always condone their principles or their practices, but he always uses human authorities, both good and bad, for his will, for blessing in your life. Look, I could go on and on and on in this subject. It's probably worth spending a lot more time on, but just a couple of quick thoughts as I close on it because it's such a hot topic today. Respect in the scriptures. I think Andy Stanley summed it up well. He said it's not about the what, it's about the who. It's not about if I agree or disagree with policies or platforms or principles. It's about the who. I actually came across a good way this week to remember that one. When somebody tells you what to do, don't resent the what. Respect the who. Ask yourself, are they in charge? Are they asking me to sin? I don't know that you need to go beyond those two questions. Are they in a position of authority over me? Because then I'm going to do it unless it's sin, and then I won't. Now, I have to tell you, Living like this has incredible benefits in your life and in our world. First, as you learn to submit to the authorities God's placed over you, for your benefit, whether you see it or feel it or not, in learning to honor and to respect them, you're learning to submit to, honor, and love your Father in heaven. Second, there is a very clear principle in the Scriptures. You see it everywhere, but it's described so clearly in Samuel 
God said, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Listen now. We honor God and we respect it when we respect and honor those in authority over us. In every sphere in our lives, as we do that, we honor God and God's promises that if we will honor God, he will honor us. He also says that about disdaining the authorities over us. See, if we want God to honor us, if we want God to honor our nation, then we have to honor those in authority over us. Friends, it's that simple. And finally, this is incrementally countercultural. It's so unusual that God uses this principle scripturally in two powerful ways. First, Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked king of Babylon, while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not comply with the king's demands that were sin, while Daniel did not comply with the rule not to pray, the truth is that the whole of their lives was marked by a willingness to serve, honor, and respect Nebuchadnezzar as king, even though he was not a good king, even though he was not a godly man. They did this, they respect, honored, valued, served him, right, while not comprising their testimony. And as a result, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar winds up becoming a believer in their God. In fact, if you want to go and read, you can read his testimony. It's in, in chapter 4 of the Old Testament book of Daniel. But as he speaks of his conversion, he repeats the same conclusion four times. He keeps saying this, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anybody he wishes. And he sets over them the lowliest of people. Guys, this Summer Song Sunday, we are not called to criticize our rulers, our leaders, our authorities. We're called to pray for them. Now listen, it doesn't mean we don't point out where there are wrongs. It doesn't mean we don't try to win back offices or seats. It doesn't mean we don't have a voice in the political arena. It doesn't mean we don't argue vehemently for our point of view. We do all that, but we do it with honor, reverence, respect, and value. We value the people. See, if we want to change leadership, sure, we could vote them out. We can beat them up. We can diminish them enough in the eyes of the public that they either resign or get impeached or get voted out. We could honor and respect and be civil and pray. And, and maybe our behavior might have a different impact, a more powerful one. In fact, I would argue it could have two. The first is that it might, like with Nebuchadnezzar, it might change the heart of our leader. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they did that. And it did. What if the church of Jesus tried this again? And then Paul concluded his argument with this. He said, give to everybody what you owe them. If you owe taxes, you pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then you respect. If honor, then you honor. That might change the heart of a leader. And here's what Peter said about the impact Christians who respect their leaders would have on their cultures. Look this up. It's in a section of the Bible that's actually titled Living Godly Lives in a Pagan World. Here's what he wrote. He said, Dear friends, 
I urge you as foreigners and exiles, remember that's our status in this world, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He's going to talk about what those desires are in a minute. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on that day he visits us. Then he says, here's how you live lives like this. Ready? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. There's a lot of that out there. He goes on. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. And in case you find it hard to believe, let him repeat one more time. Honor the emperor. The same one that would soon crucify him. R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me. Well, to me, it meant that it was earned and not entitled. To me, it meant that it was about the what and not the who. To God, it is something far different. Friends, respect is not to be earned in the kingdom of God. It is to be given. And if we're going to be salt and light in this world, then for the sake of heaven, may we Begin to give it to every authority over each and every one of us. Let us pray and then let us watch and see as our leaders and the world change.